Welcome to the True Falls Film Festival. Welcome to the True Falls Podcast. I'm Allison Kofeld. In this episode, we're turning inward for a fast behind-the-scenes conversation. I sat down with Chelsea Myers of Tiny Attic Productions to talk about the bumpers she created for True Falls 2019. They centered on our visual theme of the fest this year, which was Stranger Host. Chelsea Myers, welcome to the True False Podcast. It's good to be here. So you are, you grew up in Columbia. We went to high school together. We did. And I'm really excited to talk today about your bumpers. First of all, let's just talk about what bumpers are, because it's kind of an insider lingo thing. They're the little videos at the top of the film that you show, or the film that True False shows. And kind of like, what's the purpose of having a bumper anyway? So if we're talking industry terms, it's it's kind of branding for the festival, but it's a lot more than that. It's also kind of a, I consider them a mental reset button because the program team puts together such an amazing uh, selection of films, but it can be a lot to go, you know, between four to five films a day on very oh. intense subjects. Some people see like seven or six. That's I don't know. So yeah, crazy. It's wild. <laughs> Good for them. I know. Oh. So, so yeah, so there's a chance for the reset. So we always try to create a, a feeling, almost like a, a calm uh, moment, a peaceful moment before just delivering so much information and emotion and uh, incredibly intricate stories um, in these feature films or the shorts programs. So the bumpers are, are that way to just kind of establish uh, the theme of the festival, which is also something that is highly thought through and um, curated on the art side of true false um and also just yeah to give you a little tiny break before you dive back in to another amazing story yeah it's kind of like i like that idea that it's this this a little bit of a grounding um centering like okay you made it you're here i want to talk more about the theme that's going to be the focus of our conversation today but i also think I, i realized when you were talking the neat thing about the bumpers and you know, maybe this happens at other festivals too, um, is that they're sequence. And so to me, they're also sort of like this unfolding series that happens across four days. So each day is something, is a variation on the theme. Yeah, that's a really big deal because uh, like you mentioned, some people will see seven films in a day. So we wanted to make sure that we have a different, unique story each day. So there's four bumpers total in the sequence, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And... They get deeper into the theme, but also uh, just explain different sides of the theme because there's so many different variations of Stranger Host, as we'll get into uh, this this relationship uh, dynamic. You know, we're going to focus, I think, today on the Thursday bumper, which is um, E. coli, but we're going to touch on all of the bumpers. But the festival theme this year was this idea of Stranger Host with the... um, arrow in the middle that kind of points in both directions. So stranger, arrow pointing back at stranger, arrow pointing at the word host. Let's go ahead and listen to the theme for Thursday, which is, is it called E. coli? Uh, Yeah. 
Every living thing we see with our naked eye takes up only a tiny tuft on the tangled tree of life. The earth belonged once entirely to E. coli and their ilk. Identified by a German at the dawn of germ theory, a commensal little rod-shaped thing thriving on the stuff in us. They lead a quiet life, but borne by our industrial food supply, a strange new network that shunts them into lettuce or a fast food hamburger, some strains enter into a deadly program. Sitting on its pedestal of intestinal cells, shooting molecules in until the cells rip open, E. coli 0157H7 feeds. But our suffering is accidental. Its hosts aren't that important to why E. coli is the way it is. But without bacteria, life on Earth would be done forever. So let's talk about just the basic structure of how each of these pieces for the four days of the festival were constructed. So each bumper has a different relationship that it focuses on. So really interesting fact. Uh, that's terrifying if you look at it the wrong way, but I think it's actually really cool. Parasites outnumber free living organisms four to one. Wow. Yeah, we all got parasites or, you know, depending on how you look at it, we could be considered a parasite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a, a billion types of uh, these different relationships varying from mutualistic to parasitic. Mutualistic being something that gives each species involved in the relationship a benefit, and parasitic, obviously, one species gets the benefits and another one is harmed in the process. Um, and then commensalistic is the in-between on that. And where commensalistic, so they're both getting something, but they're both being a little bit harmed. It's more neutral territory. Okay. Okay. So mutualistic is like they're both being benefited. They're both getting, you know, better in their own way. Parasitic, one is is maybe suffering a little more. And then... Commensalistic just is just like you've got a chill. hitchhiker that's not talking to you and, <laughs> and not bothering you in any way. Cool. It's just along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. So you have these three different kinds of relationships. And each of the bumper episodes was... So you conceived of these... There's three relationships, and that was sort of the fodder for... for then going to the plant and animal kingdom um, to find examples of these three relationships. And then each bumper episode is a poet who is speaking with a scientist who is an expert in whatever particular relationship you've decided to highlight in that day's bumper, right? So what happened was um, once uh, Paul Sturtz told me the theme was Stranger Host, I compiled a list of 20 different relationships that I thought were really unique and interesting. There's a lot that we're familiar with, you know, uh, barnacles on whales mm. is, I, I feel like, a kind of obvious one. Or like the little birds that sit on crocodiles and oh, yeah. like pick their teeth or clean them and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to find more unique ones that aren't readily available to the public. And I sent this list of, of 20 different relationships to these four poets that we had nailed down to write the scripts. And they picked the ones that interested them most. And there's no overlap. Something about each one spoke to uh, each individual poet. So, Yeah, and we should say in the, in the clip we just heard, that's Takiya Thomas reading the poetry of Jess Winder Bolina. And the scientist, and we'll hear from him in a minute, but the scientist that Jess Winder spoke with for, for the E. coli bumper was Carl Zimmer who you've probably heard on Radio Lab or read his articles in the New York Times or read, 
you know, one of his over a dozen books. He's amazing. And I just so happened to, on a whim, reach out to him after reading his book, Microcosm. And he was in between book tours. And he was like, yeah, sure, I can hop on the phone and talk to a poet about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really cool that he's, you know, he's such an established uh, figure. And in, in fact, all of the scientists that we talked to were, you know, they might not have the popular reach that Carl Zimmer has, but each of them were really are quite advanced. They're experts in their field. Yeah, um, I had to dig really deep for some of them. <laughs> like mm-hmm. our, our sea slug, that's our Saturday bumper. It was really hard to find an uh, expert on this one particular nudibranch. Um, it's a type of, of sea slug that has all these different varying relationships with algae. It's the only example of a nudibranch that is mutualistic, and algae doesn't die when it's consumed. And there's like only two experts on that in the world. And I found their remote research papers after digging for hours and reached out to them. And they were fortunately available to talk to us as well. Uh, And I love the sea slug bumper. It's, it's my favorite. And I think it's, uh, it's Mark McKee's poem. Is that right? Nikki Beer. Nikki Beer. And then Mark McKee read it. Is that right? Yes. Okay. We should maybe just listen to that bumper. It's the Saturday at True False um, bumper And then we'll kind of, we'll listen to it for a a sense of how some of these bumpers are sitting together in this series of four. And then we'll turn our attention again to, to E. coli. The sea slug Malibe Engeli devours the green body of the algae with gusto. Devours even the algae's dreams of being forest, of being its own green continent. Uniting with the infinite branches of the slug's gut, the algae embeds itself into the very cells of the animal, often thriving there for generations. The algae claims the slug's sunlight, turning that warmth into shared sugar, enough to nourish both entirely for many months. And so they drift in this embrace, a new dream together in the ocean's endless sleep. Isn't this the world we hope to recover? Growth without destruction, consumption without cruelty, or annihilation. If we dive deep enough, will it come back to us? So this one probably touched you so much because I think about it as a love story. (laughs) It's like the perfect Disney princess, happy ending love story. Well, I think I love it because um, I love the question it poses at the end. The question of recovery and is it still there what can be salvaged? Those feel like the essential questions for our time, if I can be so grandiose. I think that's why I really love it. And I love the blue. It's a very blue bummer. It's it is. all blue. <laughs> so let's talk. So visually, you know, we're listening to these on the radio and they're really sound rich. But also, you know, if you watch these on the True Falls Vimeo page um, or our other social media accounts, there's so much happening with animating, um, with the animation. You're an animator, you're a filmmaker. How did you start to think about getting these relationships that were so microscopic um, into an animated form that would then be projected onto this enormous screen across our, our, our venues at the fest? Oh, man, there's a lot to cover on this yeah. one. Um, well, first off, I, I kind of started with a visual theme, a, a synergetic color scheme. We knew that uh, we were really inspired by Juan Muro in the beginning with Dave Reigel's poster design. A lot of the 
crazy color combinations that artists explored in the 1960s. Joseph yeah. Albers is another one that really influenced me. We should mention that the theme for the fest doesn't influence the film programming, but it does influence the bumpers, the art installations, and a number of other uh, solicited artwork throughout the festival. And and that's the that's why we have the artistic theme, but it's um, separate from the programming. But sorry, go ahead. So I started with a color scheme and um, also the idea, the reason I should say really quick, the reason we picked poets to work with is because I immediately thought about the educational videos a lot of us 80s and 90s kids saw growing up in public school. The almost lyrical nature of how narrators deliver all of this information to you. So I was like, let's get poets on board with this to get, you know, a little richer with the language. So we started with these scripts and a color scheme. And then from there, I, gosh, I don't even know how many dozens of hours I spent researching each of these. And E. coli had a wealth of written material about it for sure, but but finding visuals and finding video content on it was a little bit more difficult for our specific purposes in its interaction with the host, which is where, you know, reading Carl Zimmer's Microcosm was so important because he's so vivid with his language. Yeah, and he writes and he speaks about it, and this is what I think is so cool about, you know, experts um, who spend so much of their time doing these things and then have um, people who who have that level of expertise but then also have the ability to explain it to people who really are walking in with very little or no um, understanding. I think I think to me that's one of the things that I love most about this bumper project is sort of the democratization of some of this information, which is maybe a little bit what documentary does too. So we have a clip of Jess Winder Bolina, who's the poet who wrote the script for the E. coli episode on his call for research with science writer Carl Zimmer. It's interesting that, you know, the researchers have tried to go back and say, well, how, how long has E. coli 0157H7 been causing these outbreaks? Um, it doesn't seem like it's been doing, in that, doing it that much until recently. I mean, hmm. it's, been a, it's been around, um, you know, maybe for centuries, but in terms of being the cause of outbreaks, when you go back and you look at when scientists look at samples taken from sick people, um, it doesn't seem to be a big factor. So it it, hmm. do, it really does seem to just be fostered by our industrial food system because it, huh. it, it lives, it seems to live very comfortably in cattle. So, so in the gut of a cow, it's, you know, it doesn't cause much trouble at all. You know, un- unfortunately, there are lots of ways now for a bacteria, for bacteria that live in the gut of a cow to come into contact with people. Unfortunately, when it gets into us and it tries to sort of do its thing, um, it wreaks havoc. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it, instead of being, uh, you know, a commensal ba- microbe, inside a cow, it becomes a parasite, a pathogen, and, and it causes a lot of trouble. So what he's talking about specifically there is E. coli 0157H7, which was the harmful example that we used of E. coli. In the bumper, we speak about how it's harmless and living a quiet life inside of us. There are a ton of strains of E. coli that are, are just completely harmless, commensal, as Carl says, um, like K-12 is one of them. They can actually even give us benefits like 
helping us develop our immune system and aiding in, in development and growth, um, processing vitamins, et cetera. But when we don't process food correctly in this huge industrial food system, it can become very harmful and cause a lot of damage, sometimes being fatal in, in really young people and really old people. Yeah, I mean, I can't help but think about, I mean, so much of what we do at True Falls when we choose the artistic theme is really try to think of so many resonances that are happening either culturally or within even the sort of specifics of the documentary world. And I, I think when I was hearing you talk about, I was thinking about how there's just such metaphor for the ways in which there's this huge complex thing, which is E. coli. It has a bunch of different kinds of strands. It does a bunch of different things. We know one, generally. We know... Yeah, we see it in the media as being harmful as H. What was it? What, H1. Sorry. <laughs> 0157H7. Yeah, I'm getting... See, I'm getting confused with bird flu. Yes. We, we know of that one strand. And... And so that's the story we latch on to. Or like for me, I'll just speak for me, that's the story I latch on to. Like of like, oh my gosh, equally gross. And I don't always think about like all of the other components of it or that it could be way more comp I mean, you know, I just don't think about how it is probably far more complex than than what I'm just often the snippets that I often hear. And I do think, um, speaking to that, I mean, as an animator, when you dive into something there's a relationship you develop as a creator with your subject, with your character. And E. coli became this very complex character for me in which, of course, we want to acknowledge uh, the ways in which people typically think about it, but to do it in not a disgusting and horrifying way. Mm -hmm. um, so in the bumper, uh, the visuals for the specific part where we talk about that, I ended up using a bunch of kaleidoscopic effects, um, which yes. in a way were inspired by Ernst Haeckel, if you're familiar with his art. He's just an incredible biologist, uh, zoologist, and anim or not animator, sorry, um, illustrator from the early 1900s, late 1800s. So I, I wrote, drew, I, yes, go, sorry, go ahead. I'm just getting all excited about the kaleidoscope. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just drew a lot of influence from, from his work in, in symmetry and, and composition. What was it about the kaleidoscope that appealed to you what was what was going on there honestly partially I kind of dreamed the vision for these bumpers at the very beginning as something that if I lived in the 1960s or, or 70s I would stumble across in like a giant warehouse party <laughs> like just projected on the wall but I knew I wanted something that was peaceful and that had good flow transitional flow so that was the method I used in order to, I don't know, create more of a relaxing vibe um, and less straight up motion graphics vibe that we see with a lot of instructional or informational animations these days. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that happens is in the bumpers um, is that there's the type of animation is more like you're seeing a drawing and then you see layers and images and, and, and types of colors and, and use overlay a lot, whereas some types of animation like show the ant, you know, like or show something just like in motion. Yeah, like, this overlay yeah. concept, it was it was about the layers and the merging of, of the host and and the stranger. <laughs> so I, I used a lot of compositing in the animation to bring us back and forth between our our larger scale and smaller scale characters. But I should mention uh I was really lucky to work with the super talented Becca Solinger on the artwork. We 
created, I don't know how many hundreds of drawings it ended up being in order to make a combination of hand-drawn sequences, like what you're familiar with typical 2D animation, although we're using sometimes just like 10 to 12 drawings per frame or per second, and then more of just like creating these landscapes that we navigate through as if a camera is moving through this imaginary world. Thank you so much for being here. I want to come back um, in a moment and talk more about some of the influences that helped shape the bumpers. And I also want to hear a little bit more about the music that is behind the bumpers. I'm sitting here, you showed me before we were getting started, this really amazing drawing in a a notebook that you were using in the field, I think, of an ant. So really this whole thing in in some ways started with an ant for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How perfect, the the ant in the sandstorm. So I was in Kenya after filming a documentary in Uganda and uh, walking through Lake Kipia with this extraordinary Maasai guide. And I was really concerned. And I pointed at this acacia tree and I was like, is this tree diseased? And, and he was like, no, no, no. The galls, uh, the swollen thorns are a natural thing the tree does in order to house these, these ants that end up being bodyguards for the tree. And I was just like, whoa, halt. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, um... Basically, the the tree tells the ants when a, a large herbivore like a giraffe or an elephant is eating too many leaves and the ants attack the giraffe or elephant. And oh, so the ant is like the guardian of making sure the tree keeps enough leaves to go on. Mm-hmm. And I was really confused by this because I was like, wait, how? <laughs> <laughs> so I recorded um, a drawing of the ants. And when I finally got internet service, looked it up, and it's this specific cocktail ant that we talk about in the Friday bumper. I was really happy one of the poets was as inspired about the story as I was because it's actually a very complex uh, relationship between the tree and the ant. They're extremely helpful to each other. Um, the tree provides... So mutualistic. Yeah, <laughs> mutualistic for the most part, but not always. Okay. The tree gives the ant shelter in the galls, but also food through secreting nectar. And then the ant is bodyguard army for the tree. But if there's no giraffes or elephants around attacking the tree, then they turn on each other. (gasps) So it's like they have to have this like element of drama in (laughs) their relationship in order for it to work. Todd Palmer was our scientist uh, advising on that. And he's done, I think, uh, 10 years of research on this very specific relationship and the complexities of it. I'd love to take a listen to this Friday bumper, which features um, the cocktail ant and the, the acacia tree. Cocktail ants burrow, then hollow, then gall the thorns, making a flute of the wind. Other trees die of such invasion, but the whistling thorn acacia secretes a nectar to feed these guests. Sometimes a giraffe comes. The tree mimics ant pheromones and ants respond in a biting and stinging frenzy. 
You could say the tree learned to speak ant, and the ants learned to answer. So much depends on the large herbivores. In the absence of such dangerous hunger, branches ask, what's in it for me? Desperate, the ants lament in a tongue of unrestrained plundering. How do you live without the sweet, grunting melody of a beast learning to speak wind? The poetry there is by Catherine Nuremberger and a former Colombian. And uh, the voice recording is by Takia Thomas. This one is one of the, the bumpers for me that the more I've watched it, the more I get out of it. And some of the things have kind of snuck up on me, like the question, um, some of the questions that Catherine writes. How do you live without a beast learning to speak wind? But the music here is different to me than some of the other bumpers. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to, to c- collaborate on the music for this project? So Mike Marshall, who writes music under the name Mike Danger, wrote all of the music and also did the soundscaping for this. He used um, Pro Tools to create this elaborate, layered sensory experience of sound effects and, and, and tones. and Yeah, so okay. we started with the scripts. Um, and then develop storyboards. And then while I was animating, uh, Mike started to, to compose these, these palettes, basically, to describe the emotion, but also the landscape. Because each one of these does have a very different landscape. We have an ocean in one. We have an African uh, savanna in another. And uh, our guts, <laughs> for one. Yeah. So um, he created these very complex palettes to help scene set, but then also enhance the emotional turmoil or joy <laughs> or whatever is going on in each script. It's it's a complex project for short films, for poets, for experts. <laughs> there After are, mining, you know, through Hunter. Yeah, there are a lot of collaborators on this project, for sure. And the Anson and Keisha bumper, I should say, definitely had the most unique hand-drawn frames, mm. which was something I felt really strongly about. Uh, being a kid that grew up loving The Lion King, <laughs> I wanted to to kind of give more of a nod to traditional 2D animation in and, and this specific bumper, especially since we're all so familiar with the, the African landscape, uh, thanks to the amazing animators at Disney. Yeah, there are certain things that once they become part of the pop culture fabric, you know, how you work with them after that is you're always in conversation with the images people are carrying. I mentioned Ernst Haeckel earlier as a big influence with art direction. He did have training and background in zoology and was a big fan of Charles Darwin and actually met him at one point in his life. He developed this really beautiful phylogenic tree, tree of life, that has since been rewritten many times over and, and added to. And I ended up putting a tree of life in the beginning of the E. coli piece because, uh, Joss Winder was really inspired by the element that, you know, bacteria in, in many ways is, is this ancient being. Yeah, he talks about that in the interview with Carl Zimmer. The theme of the, the film festival makes me wonder at times who is the stranger and who the host. You know, do we live among bacteria or do uh, bacteria live among us? You know what I mean? Like this sort of, uh, they predate us. They've been here longer they populate our guts, they live on our skin, they live in our mucous membranes, um, they live in the environment. They were here first, they will will conceivably be here long after. And so are we borrowing their real estate or are they borrowing ours? 
that was science writer Carl Zimmer speaking with Jess Winder Bellina. And that was a big influence for the, this tree image early on. Yeah, okay. Or? So one specific thing that I tried to do with this unique bumper, the E. coli bumper, uh, was show zoom and scale on mm. on how this extremely tiny microorganism inside of us has been a dominant force in evolution. And I mean, that's something Carl Zimmer writes a lot about in his book, Microcosm, if, if you're interested more on the subject. But if you look at, at the bumpers compared to each other, each one of them kind of implements different techniques with animation. And this one I was very interested in showing this zoom sensation of, of going deep inside of us and then pulling back out to the bigger picture. So there's one scene in which uh, we're looking at E. coli consuming nutrients inside of our intestines, and it starts with the microvilli and then the villi and zooms out to show the intestine as a whole to give you a sense of, of how crazy it is that this thing that we can't see with our naked eye affects so much of our life and life as we know it on this planet. Yeah. And I think animation is such a neat form for that. I mean, it certainly feels so well suited to do that, that zoom in and zoom out. It was really interesting to create these imaginary worlds for each of our characters. But at the same time, uh, while, while trying to get at this magical nature of this environment, these unique environments, not trying to totally mystify the audience or mislead them in any way. So research was a very valuable part of trying to make sure they were as accurate and factual as possible. Also, we're working with 50 seconds, 45, 50 uh, yeah. seconds to explain these extremely complex relationships. So I tried to mirror a lot of the visuals with the audio, but also give it added depth to give you a little bit more of a sense of these critters and, and microorganisms environment. Well, thank you so much for sharing your research with us today and helping us kind of pull back the curtain on these really beautiful short films you created for True False. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks to Janet Saidi, Mark Johnson, and Betsy Smith for producing this episode. This wraps up the third season of the True False podcast. Special thanks to Ryan Vermuliner and Sebastian Martinez Valdivia. Our music was created by Tim Pilcher using sounds from the True False Film Fest. I'm Allison Kovelt. Thanks for listening.